Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Closet Podcast. I am so honored to have Yomi Park on the podcast today and to share her story with you all. Yomi Park is a North Korean defector and a human rights activist. She escaped the brutal dictatorship as a teenager only to fall victim to sex trafficking in China before escaping to South Korea by walking across the Gobi Desert. She eventually made her way to America, where she is now a citizen. She is such a powerful speaker and really puts into perspective what true oppression looks like. So without further ado, here's you. Yomi, it is such an honor to have you with me today. I'm so excited to get your story out to all of my followers. Um, I've heard you speak probably two or three times now, and I'm literally in tears every time I hear what you have to say. You are a walking, talking miracle. And um, let's get right into it. So tell us a little bit about what it was like um, as a child in North Korea. Uh, hi, Shilai. So good to see you and thank you for having me. Uh, I mean, to describe what it was like to live in North Korea, in some sense, I don't even have any words to describe it. <laughs> I'm actually looking at your closet behind you. and None of I'm, this. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the life in North Korea is almost uh, living a different planet. It's a living in a dark ages where there is no civilization, there is no any technological development. And the reason why people in, in the 21st century living there, not even knowing what internet is, is because the regime decided to isolate nursing people. So they don't get ideas what life could be. So yeah, just there is a starvation that is by man-made by the dictator. There's no flow of information. So people do not even know that they're oppressed. And, you know, if you don't know you're oppressed, you cannot fight to be free. And that was the point of the regime, why they became hermit kingdom that it is today. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing you speak and you said there's no word for love because you're not allowed to love anyone except the supreme leader. And there's no word for oppression. Um, and was well, something you said that I thought was really powerful is you said, if you have a word for oppression, you don't know what oppression is. You're not oppressed. Yeah, I know that's the thing. Like you, constantly, you hear these words in America, how they are oppressed. I mean, if you know you're oppressed, you're not really oppressed. Not knowing is the definition of oppression. And it's like that in North Korea, the regime even not only trying to uh, change our behaviors. There's two types of dictatorships. That is physical dictatorship. It's literally locking people down, closing the border, not letting people move around or speak the you know speak freely. But the second uh, dictatorship that North Korea mastered and not other countries have been able to do is it's called a uh, dictatorship of the mind. They literally try to brainwash you to the point to believe that the dictator can read your thoughts. It's in some way they became a god to North Korean people. They said, oh, what you think, what you, oh, what you are trying to do, we all know, we can read your mind. So people in North Korea, they are not even free to think. And also in order to think, you need to have this vocabulary, it's like the concept, right? You need to understand what love is. You need to understand what human rights is. It's a concept. When humans born, you don't just automatically know what justice is, what animal rights is. These things are like innovative words that we learn the concept. 
and they don't teach those to Norskin people. Wow. I remember you were also talking about um, the man-made starvation and the game that you would play with your sister about a um, bucket of bread. Yeah, it's, I know it's interesting when a lot of uh, being in America now, I'm a mother myself, you know, we teach our children, what do you want to be, you know, be ambitious, be having aspirations. But I mean, the first thing my mom would taught me as a young girl was not to even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. She said, like, the most dangerous thing that I had in my body was my tongue. If I said one thing that was wrong in the eyes of the regime, that wasn't just going to kill me, that was going to kill the up to three generations of my family's life. And, of course, daily uh, regime decided to divide North Koreans into 51 different classes. Even though they came into power promising North Korean people, saying that there will be no inequality, everything going to be a socialist paradise, that we are all well off, free healthcare, free education, free housing, no tax, everything's free and taken care of by the uh, government. But once they abolished private property and nobody could own a land, own a house, own a car, own anything, they took it everything away from the people they made North Koreans into 51 different classes. And the shocking thing about North Korea is that you're a homogeneous country. Mm-hmm. We look the same, we speak the same like language, we are the same people. And depending on this status in the government, they decide who gets fed and who is getting starved and who is going to get killed, who is not. So depending on that status, how much your ration comes from the region determined. So basically, 90% of the population in North Korea are in the lower middle class, and they chose to be starved. But the remaining 10% of elite who get to live in Pyongyang, but if you are a disabled person, they exile you from the capital. Even though while you're in the military serving the regime and you get injured, the regime says you're the embarrassment to the socialist revolution, and they kick you out of the capital. There's no mercy in that court, in the system. And that the reason why we're being starved is also the regime decided that if we are full, we are going to thinking about the meaning of life. We're going to thinking about freedom and we might have energy to start a revolution. But imagine only thing that we are left to thinking about is looking for the next meal, this daily survivor that will distract us fighting for the freedom of people. Wow. Yomi, what, when did this dictatorship come into place and what was North Korea like before that? So there was no North Korea, South Korea. It was one Korea. We have thousands, about 5,000 years of shared history together. And in the, after the World War II, uh, that was when we, Korea was colonized by Japan. And during this time, there were people, movements between supporting the free democracy and there were movements following the uh, Marx and Lenin's like socialist communism. And the people who were following, like Kim Il-sung following the socialist idea, he was uh, controlling the North. And the people who were subscribing to American types of democracy were controlling the South. So Korea became divided uh, in the 1948, 1950s. Mm. And then that has been the line between north and south and this stuff that way got divided still to this day and following two different systems and the 
it, this is the biggest human experiment, right? Like this country has the exact same history, language, genetics, culture, tradition, everything. But when one country decided to follow socialism, became the, literally the darkest place in the world. They can't even afford electricity in the 21st century. The other country chose to follow the free democracy and empowering individuals. They became one of the 10th largest economies in the world. They became the country of the Samsung and K-pop and innovation, and they have the brightest economy and technology. So it really shows us what a system can make a difference. It's not about- Looking at like the US now and all of these young people that are like socialism, you know, all of this stuff, if there's, you know, one thing you can say to the youth of America that are kind of glorifying this communist socialist mentality, what would it be? Yeah, this is why I actually wrote my new book recently is about that any country is capable of becoming like North Korea. There's nothing about North Korean people who are having a tendency to be oppressed or like not having ability to be rich and innovating and be creative. It was just simply the system that was forced upon us was different. And I see every day I went to university in America and seeing this indoctrination that I was seeing. Like literally the things that I was learning at North Korean school were being taught at Columbia University, one of the Ivy League institutions in America. The exact same materials they were teaching. The only problem, the, the only reason we have all these world problems is because of the white men, because of the capitalism, because of free market. And imagine that like the same material that is used to brainwash North Koreans are being used at the America's top education institutions. And that's how bad, how far we came playing with this deadly, deadly evil ideology. Were you able to speak up during those classes and how was that received? <laughs> so I've tried. I've tried that uh, my professors were telling me, you know, how white men are evil in the source of everything that like capitalism caused all the problems in the world. And I was like, you know, without capitalism, you will not even have internet. Without capitalism, you will not even have your food, right? You will not even have your own home. Like the only reason that we have even vice to complain is because of capitalism. And they say, oh, you're so brainwashed. And if you, to the point, if you challenge the classmate or professors, and the first thing they teach you at Columbia University is like, respect of safe space. It's not about physical violence. It's all about emotional well-being. And if my remarks in any way make somebody feel threatened, that I can get kicked out of university. So the real actual consequences there for not speaking up. And there's a, you know, if you're not going to criticize capitalism white men, your grade is not fail. That is without thought. So I had to really in some way following this ideology to graduate though. I mean, I had to do that in North Korea to survive. And of course in America, the consequences of speaking up and think independently is not execution, but we are to the point where people getting canceled, losing their livelihood. And it's not execution, but it's character assassination. When you be the independent thinker, they go after you, mark you like a racist, they mark you a bigot and Nazi, and they call me all of that right now to shut me down. So of course we haven't gone to physically killing people for speaking up, 
but we have gone so far to able to destroy their livelihoods and killing their characters and killing their reputation. Yeah, you know what you said about how any country can be North Korea, it really resonated with me because I'm from Iran and, mm. you know, spent my childhood in Iran. And, you know, looking at how quickly it went from the Shah to this Islamic Republic and what you've said about how it's almost like an open air concentration camp. It's like an open air um, prison of thought and of how you dress and how you think and how you talk. Um, and how it affects generations, not just your you, you escaping affects your entire family and generations to come. Um, it's it's exactly how quickly it turned in Iran and now seeing the revolution happening in Iran and how um, the grandchildren of those people that said, oh, you know, um, nobody needs to own property or like, oh, nobody, you know, everybody mm -hmm. gets to be equal. Why does the Shah get to live in a castle when there's homeless people on the street? And same in America, they're saying, why do people get to live in mansions and corporate America when there's homeless people on the streets? Um, it's the same kind of um, verbiage and the same kind of messaging that, that, you know, overthrew the Shah and has put the Iranian people in the situation they're in now. And similarly, North Korea, as I'm hearing it in the U.S., and I think both you and I, we speak up so passionately and so powerfully mm -hmm. because we lived in a similar situation and we hear the same sounds and the same indoctrination happening and we just can't um, not say anything and let America go down just like our home countries went down. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm so sympathetic what is happening in Iran, and it's it's a reminder like how quickly, how fragile that freedom is, and how we need to defend it. Like what you said, um, it really broke my heart when I came to New York City, the best city in the world, the center of this, you know, the global economic power. I come here, and all my friends were like investment bankers and consultants, and they went to Ivy League schools. They make six-figure incomes, and they live in this nice city. And telling me, America is so bad. And I was like, what is it about that bad that you want to dismantle this system, that you want to destroy this country? And they said, number one thing they always say, you know, because we have inequality. Like what you said, we have homeless people, we have inequality. And I was so utterly shocked because in North Korea, you do not even have a freedom to become a homeless. Everybody gets a job assignment and we have to force to work in the hard labor without getting paid, without getting the public ration. If you decide not to work, they're gonna put you in prison and they're gonna torture you, they're gonna rape you, and they're gonna, I mean, they're gonna beat you up. So the fact that they are the homeless people, that is a sign of that we have freedom. People literally have a freedom to shoot themselves with heroin, laying on the ground, and be free about that. And second of all, right, the reason there is like billionaires and trillionaires is that there is a social mobility. If you work hard, if you create innovate things, you can create jobs and you can you can become rich and you do not punish your wealth. That's actually as long as you didn't harm and selling drugs and killing people and you create the worth buying like Elon Musk creating electric cars, like Jeff Bezos, Amazon, making people's lives better. It, it's a great thing that we need to celebrate the worth. And the fact that inequality exists, like it shows us the possibility of this country that we can rise. But in North Korea, they, they keep forgetting that the enemy is poverty. It's not inequality. 
poverty is what is an enemy for all of us. And in America, they are so brainwashed to think that somehow they'd rather be one of the like North Koreans, dirt poor, or hungry and starving and equal than <laughs> having your iPhone, having your house with electricity and heating and food, and you never have to worry about your children going dying from starvation. They want to choose to become like North Korean. And this is an utterly heartbreaking situation, really. Yeah. Um, Yumi, I, I, I also heard you say, and by the way, I went to Columbia University as well. Oh my gosh. You like my condolences. You know, I, I heard you also say that you see these girls in their $100 Lululemon pants talking about how they're oppressed. I do want to, you know, get into the story of your escape um, and how you, you know, it was dark in North Korea. It's the, by satellite, it's the darkest country um at nighttime because they don't have any electricity to turn the yeah. lights on mm -hmm. um so if you're looking on satellite images north korea is dark but you are in a border city border town and you can see the lights from china and seeing those lights you said if i can just get to china i can get a bowl of rice to eat yeah. so i want you to talk about your um escape story real quick because i think it's just so powerful mm -hmm. and gives people perspective on what true oppression looks like so that they kind of realize, hey, maybe in the US, uh, I might not have it so bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly right. Like these kids wearing these fancy yoga pants and their juice detox, this green juice, so expensive too. And choose not to eat meat, they are vegans. <laughs> and vegan food is not that cheap either, actually. And they talk about how they're oppressed is because uh, they they have a uh, ten thousand different like pronouns, and somehow general public do not get that. Like I literally remember a classroom, uh, there was they, uh, identified they themselves like as a gender uh fluid. So any mm -hmm. second it can be he or she or anything, tiger, wolf, anything they identify themselves and. I just learned English by watching American TV show Friends. And during that time in America, they didn't have this gender non-conforming people. It was he or she, and that was it. So I was not used to calling somebody they as a pronoun. And I literally said he, because it uh, looked like a biological male. And at the end of class, and Justin Day came, comes to me and in tears. And like, how can I do that? How I made him so not feel oppressed, you know? So threatened. I was thinking like, do you have any idea what other people are going through in this, in this world right now? A lot of people's real oppression is life and death decision, not about how you feel. And like you said, I mean, at 13 years old, uh, I was just around like 50 pounds. And North Koreans are on average five inch shorter than South Koreans because of malnutrition, because of uh, we don't have a public health system like that works. And the only thing that drove me to leave my home country was not even like fighting for freedom. I didn't even know what freedom was at the time. It was simply, if I would not eat, I'm gonna die from starvation. And luckily I was living in the border town of North Korea and seeing this electricity lights coming from China in my time. And that's when we thought, oh, maybe if we go where the lights were, we could find a bowl of rice to eat. And that's how my sister, at 16, crossed the frozen Yellow River, risking her life to escape to China. And that's how my mother and myself, uh, when I was 13 years old, we crossed the exact same river into China and to find a bottle of rice. 
Wow. So tell me what that crossing was like, because I've heard the story, but I want people to hear it if you're comfortable sharing it. Yeah, it's a it's most heavily guarded border you can ever imagine in the world right now. And every 10 meters, there's border guards with machine guns. They have a shoot to kill order. Their own people. If it's our river, we cannot go there freely. If anybody crosses the river, they can just shoot them there and kill them on the spot. Uh, luckily, I had uh, somebody, my sister, left me a note saying, finding this lady, she's not helping me go to China. Uh, I didn't question why she was helping us. She bribed the border guard. And we uh, walked across the frozen river into China. And I, as soon as we get to the border, uh, the first thing I was saying was my mom being raped. And they told us that now we're going to be sold as sex slaves in China. And this was because of Chinese one-child policy. There are more than 30 million men cannot find wives. So those men buying North Korean girls like puppies, like uh, pigs. And they buy us for prostitution. They buy us as a sex slave. And they buy us for the organ harvesting. So we are, we are not even a human there. So, so we are like fugitives. And they sold my mother for $65 in 2007. And they sold me just above $200 because I was their child and I was virgin. And that was very, very valuable somehow in perverted Chinese human trafficking ring. And they sold me separately from my mother. Were you ever able to um, find your mom and your sister? Yeah, uh, the human trafficker who bought me. Uh, another human trafficker, there's wings of human traffickers buying you. Each time they buy, the price goes up. And they decide, oh, am I going to sell her to a brother? Am I going to sell her to urban harvesters? I'm going to sell her to the supposedly Chinese husband is like the rapist. And sometimes the brothers, cousins, they family buy the one girl and they rotate and rape her. A village by one girl and rape her until she dies. And a lot of girls don't even last until six months from this trade. And this trafficker who bought me uh, sold my mother to a supposedly a Chinese husband who was going to keep her as a slave and rape her every day. And this guy bought me and then he decided to want to keep me as his mistress. And I was 13, I couldn't take the shame. I was going to kill myself. And at the moment when I was trying to kill myself, he said, if I become mistress, he said he was going to help uh, bring my family to me. He was going to buy mom back from the farmer that he sold and was going to bring my sick father from North Korea to me. So I thought if I sacrifice myself, I could save my family. And that's what I did. So after I became his mistress and being raped by him, uh, he brought my mom back and he brought my sick father to me in China. Wow. And then how did you get out of that? How did you finally make it to the U.S.? And how old were you when you made it here? Yeah, so this was 2007. And uh, by 2008, my father uh, passed away because he was in the prison camp in North Korea. He had the colon cancer that could not be treated. After my father passing away, uh, this two-man trafficker who got me became very addicted to gambling. Mm -hmm. And... This is the thing about, you know, there's nobody's a pure evil and nobody's pure, I guess, angel. That even in this dark man, he somehow wanted me to go. 
and find a better life. But as a North Korean, how do you find a better life? You know, in China, you are like during the Nazi Germany, you are hiding from the authority. They are trying to constantly catching us and sending us to North Korea, like to sending us to Holocaust, where prison camp, where we get gassed, we get raped and get killed and executed. So the only place we could find was uh, going to a chat room. It's a, not a physical prostitution, but you still have to show your body through the mm. camp. And for doing that, doing that, the Chinese brokers would feed us and giving us place to stay. Mm. Uh, in this camp place, uh, my mother and I met a, another nursing director woman. And she said, there are missionaries coming from South Korea, rescuing North Koreans to go to South Korea. And if we go to South Korea, we can become free. And I literally was asking her, I was by then I was 15 years old. Like, what do you mean I'm going to be free in South Korea? Because I never heard that before. And she said, uh, if we go to South Korea, nobody going to arrest us. And we can watch TV and we can uh, wear jeans. So that's what I thought freedom was. Like wearing jeans, I was a teenage girl, watching K-pop dramas, you know, and uh, somebody would not arrest me. And we asked them, how do we do that? And First, we had to join the mission group and doing a Bible study. And a few months later, they would help us to go to cross the Gobi Desert into Mongolia from China because we don't have passport. The only way we can escape from China is physically, literally walking across the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia. And that's how I got out of China. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and how old were you by the time you got out? I was 15 years old. So you guys imagine all of that trauma, experience, um, speed, maturation, uh, because you have no choice happening by the age of 15. Now look at our college students in America talking about oppression. You know, I mean, it just puts things in perspective and you realize how just how lucky you are, how spoiled um, we are. Uh, and to really appreciate this country that is not perfect, no country is, but really uh, has given us the opportunity to have freedom of speech, freedom of thought, um, freedom to rise in rank based off of hard work, talent, um grit and perseverance uh, which a lot of countries like Yonmi and my country uh didn't allow us to do so really again you see the world through the lens uh, of your upbringing and your experiences uh, i hope that this podcast today has enlightened you somewhat to see the world and politics and everything happening um you know, sociology-wise in this country right now and, and helped you see it, see it a little bit through a different lens. Um, I want to thank you, Yomi, for sharing your story. Um, I talk about you all the time on different podcasts I go on <laughs> and my friends just to, um, you know, raise awareness about your story and your message um, and to amplify your voice because I think it's so important. Uh, so more power to you. I hope the book um, is a huge success and please let people know where they can find you. Oh, thank you for everything you said. Uh, they can find me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, on YouTube and 
Uh, they can find my book on Amazon and then everywhere. Just not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. I'm yeah. like, when are they going to get rid of... Uh... <laughs> I'm not going to go away. One less social media for me to think about. And right. your book is called While Time Remains. I can't mm-hmm. wait to read it um, and wish you much success. And again, a huge thank you for sharing your story with all of us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to my show and rate it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you're listening. And make sure you follow me on social media. See you next time.